Uncharted, a podcast that is dedicated to guide you through the blockchain and crypto universe. We are coming to you live from Area 2071 in the Emirates Towers. And today I am joined by Faisal Al-Hawi, my co-host for today, and our special guest, Emile Kohli. Faisal, say hi. Hi, guys. Emile, say hi. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, could you quickly introduce yourself, Emile, for those who don't know you? I'm Amir Al-Khali, I graduated as a software engineer, I then spent um, about six years doing research in AI, got my PhD in the process, in digital that, spent 20 years as a fund manager looking at stock markets in the MENA region, and about a year and a half ago I decided, having done a fintech course, that the world's changing and it's time to kind of take a step back and look for the next part of what I do. So I've been uh, looking at the crypto world, fintech, mentoring some startups and just trying to learn more than anything and ask questions. And here I am. Awesome. Yeah, so me, me and Amin, we've um, created the Dubai chapter of Fintech Connector. And so we've get given a lot of like blockchain presentations. And Amin is a very sort of avid <laughs> enthusiast of, of blockchain. And as, as we'll see today, we're going to be talking about sort of money and the concept of money. He's got a lot of strong views. <laughs> so... Today, what we're going to do and sort of how we want the Encrypto podcast to to go about is to really like talk about the, the pressing matters that are happening in this industry and also talk about the recent news and trends. And so the first article that we have is from Coin Journal, which says that cryptocurrencies will become mainstream in 10 years, says eToro and Imperial College Research. And the research paper highlights that digital currencies already fulfill one of the three criteria of fiat money, which is a store of value. But the other two functions, which is the medium of exchange and the unit of account, is still not there yet. And this will only happen if a friendly and conducive regulatory environment is in place. So yeah, I mean, Faisal, what do you think of this piece? I think I think most of the times the store of value is, is the easier kind of um, measure to get across. So it, it, it's going to take a while until this becomes a unit of account. And the medium of exchange, I'll be quite interested to see what Amin has to say, because I feel like it's already being a kind of a traded asset and how the stock market or how the crypto market is kind of played off. So I'll be interested to see what Amin has to say about this as well. I looked at that a while back, try, trying to re-understand money. I, I still don't. I'm not going to enlighten anyone. I have more questions than answers. But to some extent, the three are tied together, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I can't have something as a store of value, at least for a period of time, if it's a few seconds and then I'm going to get something else at the end of it, who's going to be left holding it? So I will not accept it in exchange if I think its value is going to disappear. Maybe I don't intend to hold it for 10 years. Maybe it's 10 minutes. I don't know. But they are related. And once you can exchange things using a particular medium... Um, it's sort of a unit of account, right? If you're going to price something in it, you're going to exchange it. So in a sense, they're all self-reinforcing. So it's important for it to be a store of value. It's a good first step. Now, there's how good it is as a means of exchange, store of value, unit of account. That's a different story. Um, it's, you know, the, the article, and I actually went and looked at the original article as well from Imperial on Etoro. Mm-hmm. It's quite nice. The, the link's there in the article, so it's quite a good read. It's quite it detailed. Is. Um, and remind me to tell you something in relation to that later in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I think at the moment, as, as a, a means of exchange, 
not easily acceptable, maybe inconvenient wallets, but technology solves these things. I was around from the early days of the internet. It was just even sending email could be a hassle. Now it's much easier. You have Messenger, you have WhatsApp. So these problems get solved, the technical ones. Uh, but it's also highlighting kind of regulations and other aspects that will smooth things along. And even as a store of value, uh, it's good, but there is some concern still. Mm-hmm. Let, let's be honest about it. But, but it's happening. I think yeah. the thrust of the article is it's happening. And it is happening. And things have teething problems. I mean, it does say that what 11,000 businesses um, have already accepted Bitcoin's form of payment up until the end of 2017, which is a pretty big sort of milestone, at least for Bitcoin itself. And to touch upon one of the points that you said, like if, if we were to look at the unit of account, in most of these, at least when we look at crypto exchanges, Bitcoin itself is a unit of account. Ethereum is also a unit of account because a lot of these different crypto assets or digital tokens are actually priced in these two different currencies. It, it's all about kind of how good something is and what we use for reference value. Okay, so first of all, I, I don't think it's necessary for every cryptocurrency to be everything. For example, I was struck um, a few months into learning about Bitcoin, how similar it can be to gold. You don't necessarily pay in gold, but it can be a unit of account. Okay? Realistically, the most solid unit of account at the moment is the US dollar, because that's what we price everything in relation to. Okay? Um, But if Bitcoin becomes a solid, reasonable alternative to gold, it's good enough. There could be other currencies, cryptocurrencies, that could be used as money, maybe, or cash. I don't know. I, I don't have a crystal ball. But the one thing we keep forgetting in terms of the unit of account is that it's all relative pricing relative to each other. Why do people keep complaining about dollar going off the gold standard? Because the price of everything in dollar terms is going up. But you can't trade every good with respect to every good. You just need one measure. So you can say, I'm five minutes before this and six minutes after that. Or you can just have a timeline and you measure things with respect to the timeline, right? It's the same thing. It's the yardstick. Mm-hmm. Now, people complain that it's not a great store of value because more of it be, is being printed, dollar. So they might say, okay, I'm happy to use dollar as a unit of account, but I'll keep my money in gold or invest it in something. Mm-hmm. But it's all just a race of what's appreciating faster than what. And it's quite a confusing world, but until people start pricing everything in, in Bitcoin as a unit of account, and then they say, oh, it's dollar has gone up, dollar has gone down, what we're saying is Bitcoin has gone up, Bitcoin has gone down. In what? In dollar terms. It's only a yardstick. Exactly. Right? So it's, it's things moving relative to each other. And the reason we keep using gold is a uh, dollar is a we're used to it, right? It's the natural thing. And even in the hierarchy of currencies, you know, euro, the majors, uh, you know, Australia and Swiss, they're there, but they're kind of almost second tier. But the global money is still dollar. Will it shift to one other standard or multiple others? I really don't know the answer, but I think that's really what we're uh, looking at here. Um, the beauty of what's happening in the crypto world is it's not just when it comes to money, but in other things. It's forcing everyone to ask questions about things we didn't think about. You got paid, you put your money in the bank, you think it's stolen cash. We don't think about all these things. Now we have choices of how to do things differently. So we're actually mm-hmm. questioning things that we took for granted, and that's the best of it right now. Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess you put it best when you said that it's all relative to each other. Because if you see um, the currencies in the crypto world, the Bitcoin could be the US dollar. It's mm-hmm. acting the same way. Same. And, and like you said, the second tier is Ethereum. Let's be honest. But again, this is all reference to the, to the yardstick, like you put it. 
the dollar because we are used to it. This is our form of money in our time. So maybe in a, in a couple of years' time, maybe Bitcoin will be the yardstick and then everything will measure against it. Absolutely. And the only, I mean, the only reason um, that you, you need something tradable to be a unit of account is because that's how you price things. When, how do you determine the price of something? It's the yeah. price at which people are buying and selling it. That's essentially why. Yeah, uh, so demand and supply. And also, I love the analogy and, and the naming gas, because essentially, to run cars, to run most of the energy in the world these days, you need something ultimately related to possibly oil, which is priced in dollars, okay? If you're going to have a decentralized global system where you can run apps and you need to use the fuel, it's a commodity, right? It's a virtual commodity rather than a physical one, but it's still a commodity, okay? Um, so that's a decent analogy. And a big part of the value of the dollar derives from the fact that oil's traded in it. When it went off the gold standard and the big major oil exporters agreed to price in dollars, that gave a boost to the dollar. People were still in demand. So the commodity is another way where, where a currency gets value, and that's why ETH is interesting. But we're no longer connecting everything. You can disentangle things in the crypto world. You can use ETH for one thing, Bitcoin for you another. Can, you can up so many interesting possibilities. Sure. It's brilliant. Yeah, but 10 years, 10 years until um, cryptocurrencies become mainstream, that's, I mean, with, with the advent of technology and how fast, you know, things have changed, is 10 years a bit too much of a stretch? I mean, if you ask me, I would say the only reasonable uh, explanation of it being 10 years is that it involves humans. And until we get in the one consensus and agree on something, it might take us even 20 years. But the technology is there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's functioning good enough for now. But until we agree, and by we I mean all the stakeholders in this environment, I guess 10 years could be a reasonable yeah. amount of time. What do you think? If it's purely technology, it's not going to take 10 years. Yeah. I think that the adoption is people, therefore legal, therefore us figuring out what mm -hmm. we really want. It's not even that we know the right from wrong and we're arguing about it. I think we still need to figure out what we want. Technology-wise, it keeps improving all the time. It, it will. It won't take 10 years for the technology to get there. But yeah, I agree with you. It's going to come down to people and groups. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. we interact with groups. Yeah, and, and just speaking about the technology as well, if you, if you were to look at the, the recent sort of applications that have come out in, in the Ethereum world, such as CryptoKitties, um, no one's heard of it. CryptoKitties basically... A game on Ethereum, which uh, which allows people to actually make these sorts of digital cats online, and then people could trade them. And another one called Augur, which is a decentralized prediction marketplace. Mm. These two games and all these two different apps in, in the grand scheme of things have actually sort of given different metrics on how we could see cryptocurrencies, all these digital tokens becoming mainstream. Because even the technologies here, it's funny, there's not that many people actually using these um, applications. So you have um, for, I think it was the, the launch of Augur, um, they had 300 plus people on the first day and the maximum it peaked was around 400,000 transactions, right? Um, whereas CryptoKitties, okay, you it was slightly larger. At one point, you maybe had 40,000 users, but that's about it. Um, so you, you, have the tech, you have the technology to some extent, but... The fact that people are not sort of going to these, only the early adopters, it still doesn't mean it's, it's going mainstream as well. This is a youth hub, right? Yeah. That's why I was being eyed up by the security guard when I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> One of the benefits of being old is you remember things. Amazon launches, 
It, it launches the website. It's yeah. selling books online. How many people were buying books in the first few weeks? Yeah. Okay, that was 20 years ago. We're saying 10 years from now. 10 years into Amazon's life, it was something completely different. And it survived the dot-com crash. Okay? Might not take that long. Things are accelerating. But we mm -hmm. underestimate how quick, or maybe old people like me do, but anyway, <laughs> we, we kind of underestimate how quickly um, time moves along. So, yeah, it launched a few days ago. It's just that the publicity is such. When Amazon first launched, not that many people were on the internet. It took a while to figure out what it is. Agreed. But it picks up. Yeah. And one more thing as well. User design is an incredibly important aspect. Yeah. Yeah, I believe, I believe this is a very critical point if we are, a, if we are to achieve a good rate of adoption. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes technology can, be, can sound alienated. And unless we democratize it correctly, and one of the best ways to do this is to have designers involved, designers who actually design the technology for people, then all the kind of you know, improvements in technology will not make a difference. Because at the end of the day, you're designing for someone to use it. And based on these reports, it says that Augur is, is one of the worst de de apps, which is decentralized applications, when it comes to user experience. So I think that is a very critical element that needs to be addressed. Again, just patience. I think it was, uh, was it Jeff Bezos or, or was it uh, Elon Musk? They, he, they had a talk about user interfaces, how electricity first was done for lighting. And when the first washing machines came along, you rolled the stub into the middle of the room and took a cable to take it up to the ceiling attachment. And the number of people who got electrocuted and died because that's what oh, they wow. did. This is what 100 and something years ago, right? Crazy. Until the infrastructure got updated and you got plugs at the bottom and then you had the safety plugs and the rest of it. Some of the stuff we're using now is not built for what we're trying to use it for. And mm -hmm. think of taking a cable, putting it at the end of the washing machine an attachment like a light bulb and then going up and screwing it into the ceiling <laughs> where the light bulb came down, right? That's how bad the user interface can be and dangerous, mm -hmm. let's face it, right? And then it gets so much easier. You don't think about it. So, but, yeah. but don't you think that, like you said, I mean, it, it seems like we've done these mistakes before. Isn't it time that we kind of start correctly this okay, time? Okay, so one thing is the design, and the other is the fact that in the early days when they built houses with electricity, it was only for lighting, so they put in the infrastructure for lighting only. Mm -hmm. Next generation of houses they built, they had sockets at the bottom. And what do you do if you are making a washing machine? Do you go and say, if your house doesn't have a socket, I won't sell you one? You do what you have to, and then when people, it's a good app, people use it, then people say, oh, but it's not safe. Our people want washing machines, I'll give them a house which has one, or they're willing to pay to install sockets on the floor. On, you know, it, it, it generates its own demand. Yeah. So, and it'll happen a lot faster than it did with the other stuff. But it's a, there is an evolutionary element to, there's a design aspect, and then there's a responding to what people need. And I think it'll happen a lot faster than people think. I agree with you. Ten years is yeah. too far. It'll, it'll be seamless. <laughs> yeah, it's and there are different problems for different times yeah. as well. It's, it's protocols. Yeah. Now we have standards for plugs. Mm -hmm. We yeah. didn't back mm -hmm. then, right? Yeah. Similarly for maybe, I don't know, um, exchanging tokens across networks, for example, once we get standards for that. Mm -hmm. Telcos, the internet itself is a standard. It's a protocol. IP, TCP, IP yeah. is a protocol, right? Sure. And this is, we're still evolving the protocols, right? Then it becomes seamless. So... Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's move on to the next article. And this is a, a really interesting blog post by, by Spencer Bogart, who's a partner of Blockchain Capital. And he, he published this um, April this year. And he, he talked a lot about decentralization. It's called The Long Game in Crypto, Why Decentralization Matters. 
Uh, Faisal, do you want to quickly explain what decentralization actually is? Yeah, so decentralization is one of the key, um, I would say, features of uh, the blockchain technology is that whatever you run on that blockchain network is not controlled by a single entity. Um, and this article quite in a detailed way explains what are the advantages and disadvantages of having decentralization. So the first question we would kind of um, hear Amin's uh, view on it is, do you think that we are overestimating decentralization's benefit on blockchain? Or is it really what makes blockchain unique? It's definitely one of the unique features of blockchain. But I, I, this is, you know, you said I had strong views, and I told you I have more questions than answers. <laughs> so how could that be? Well, because sometimes what I have strong views upon is, is interminable arguments that lead to nothing. Okay? This is the, so, okay. So I asked my kids yesterday in the car. Okay, yeah, they use Facebook. My daughter's 13. My son is 16. My son is against censorship. So he's saying you should try to keep things as free as possible. And then the community would censure or boycott people who say the wrong thing. My daughter was like, well, you don't want it to be used for the wrong thing, and I'm happy to accept some. And I could turn around to her and say, yes, but what if somebody stops you saying what you want and you think it's fair? And I could turn around to him and tell him, I bet you I can find something you'll find objectionable. Okay? Some people in the world think drugs should be free. You might, okay, fine. But, you know, you're going to hit something like child labor, child abuse. That's something, you know, most people are going to say, no, I will yeah. do something yeah. to stop it. True. These arguments have been going on forever, right? You'll find something very similar about fixed supply of money and controlling credit versus having flexibility. And depending on which time or phase of history you're going through, either we're in a crisis because there was too much money supply and everybody wants to clamp down, or we don't remember that, but several hundred years ago, before the invention of central banks to fix problems, maybe they've created their own problems before the invention of them to fix problems. There were severe economic crises at harvest time in the US. There were not enough notes and coins when the farmers ran out, bought the and then the gold ended up being shifted to Europe and there was, a, you know, the yeah. European markets crashed because of American harvest season, okay? It was purely mm -hmm. a financial problem. And that was when money supply was too strict. So the reality is that you, you take one step back, you go one level above and find solutions that allow you to address both concerns. So a complete decentralization, which it, it's the same argument about censorship overall, that allows people to do to say and do what they want, like you create an app for doing something that people will perceive as illegal. Okay, that's, that's an issue for some, and there will be, I bet for every person here, there will be something that they would say, look, obviously I don't agree to this. The only difference between them is, am I willing to pay the price of this kind of thing being facilitated because I hold in higher regard the issue of complete freedom? Or would you say, I'm willing to compromise a bit? Now, this is older than humanity. People will talk to you about dominance hierarchies in the animal kingdom because it's better as a tribe. If you're out on your own as a wolf, you won't be the same as, you know, and then you have a leader and, you, you know, it works that way. What's the answer? I don't know. All I know is neither is right and neither is wrong. It's a matter of stepping back. The beauty of the technology is it allows us to explore solutions that we couldn't do before. So nobody imagined the concept of democracy when they were running around in tribes and trying to kill each other. Then you move along to more of a, then you have a way where you can run a company where there isn't purely the CEO pushing down instructions. People work autonomously. Technology allows us to evolve other solutions. And that's the beauty of the crypto world. Okay? So 
I don't have an answer to how important decentralization is. I certainly think that we should be and we will be able to come up with solutions that allow us more freedom and at the same time help us circumvent some of the issues we worry about now with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what they are. Maybe it'll be group censure. I mean, the other aspect is this. If it's entirely decentralized, we've seen how polarized opinions are on things like Facebook. It ends up being more rule. So 51% and 1% in a blockchain vote for the other 49% to have their data published online. Well, that's, they voted. You know, how do you protect the rights of the 49%, for example? But these, these issues are not new. To, the only difference with crypto and the new tech is maybe there are solutions there that we didn't have access to before that might give us a way out. So, so I guess one of the things that we could say about blockchain is that it's one of the few, few technologies or few aspects where you don't have to be binary about it. You don't have to be either black or white. You could be in that gray area and then, like I mean, said, explore and, mm-hmm. and see where the technology leads us. Okay. The only question that I have, do you think that sometimes we should neglect the kind of the negative side of things in order to keep the, the ball rolling? And we I think, you know... I would say yes and no, but I think what actually ends up happening is there's always somebody out there on the edge trying something, pushing the envelope. Even if we all agree that we should, somebody will push it. Mm-hmm. And later we might, we might either curse them or thank them for it. So, so in a sense, we could consider, and I, and I agree with you, I think sometimes we should do that. I think if you get too prescriptive, the creativity goes. Yeah. Okay. But there's always going to be somebody in the shed playing with the nitroglycerin and that will blow something up. And that's our fear, <laughs> right? But we can't stop it. So whether you think we should or shouldn't doesn't matter because yeah. I think it'll eventually happen. It's just controlling it. One thing I'd say you're right about this thing about things not being binary. Um, I think maybe social media don't help with that. It reminds me of this whole thing about race. Okay? I mean, on the one hand, it, it just doesn't exist. If you're going to analyze people genetically, the concept of race has been so mixed up that people are... But people want to make a binary classification. You're other or you're like me. Everything is nuanced. So you can take any argument. You'll take one extreme, total decentralization, one extreme, complete autocracy. Right. And, and then somewhere in between, in this gray area, is where the right answer is. The complicated, slightly messy, a bit here and a bit there. It's unpl- you need to think about it a bit more. You can't write a one-line answer to it on, on uh, Twitter and kind of, you know, you know, flame someone and it's over if we really want a solution. And then think about it. That's one hand decentralization, decentralization. Then there will be two, three other axes, maybe 15 other axes. And you can be somewhere on each of them. It's complicated, but if we can talk about it in a way where people aren't at each other's throats, that's how we can. I think that's almost more important than allowing people to be creative. It's finding an atmosphere where people can discuss things in a sensible way. Sure. I don't know. And that's nothing to do with crypto per se. I think the world needs to come down from that. But let's, yeah. let's not stray off the topic at the moment. <laughs> well, yeah. at least crypto encourages discussions, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because it, oh, absolutely. One of the questions uh, on, on the Media article, which says, how decentralized does a network need to be? Right? Like, if you go too far on one extreme, then you would basically have a system where, you know, there is literally no objection. Anyone could create their own thing they want. But if you were to have something on the other extreme, Facebook, Apple, or a centralized entity, then they could decide what they want on there. And it, it gives, let's say, developers, investors, actually some uncertainty because they would have to rely on Facebook or Apple's dis- on, yeah, on, their on their discretion when, you know, if something should be allowed or not. 
and even something in the middle. Something in the middle, depending on how it could be structured, um, could be less efficient as well. Because if you were to, you know, have have something which is let's say semi decentralized, and using blockchain technology, it could, as a matter of fact, be just less efficient. It might just be better to tend towards the ultimate sort of centralized approach. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess the experimentation that everyone is is doing is the best way, like you said. And isn't it brilliant that we can talk about having a Twenty, thirty years ago, the option of having new money or new ways of setting up a company yeah. or new ways of voting on a social network yeah. didn't exist. So you could, you could if you really Even interested, ten years ago, <laughs> yeah. So if you were really yeah. interested, you would get into a political science course and study the old philosophers yeah. about all that stuff. But yeah, whatever. Now it's real for everyone, and yeah. everybody can come up with ideas. And I, as I said, I don't know exactly where it ends up, but you can. I, I'm relearning what money is, having gone and just studied the structure of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, wait a minute, so what is money? It really opens up the, the questions yeah. and the creativity. And I also think that there is a very interesting element that I, that I view this whole thing uh, from, is maybe, maybe this time technology will, will change us more than we change it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, we, if we look at millennials, I mean, they are so used to technology and they have a certain standard of expectation in life, how easy it should be, how quick it should be, how impatient they are. And now with blockchain, like I mean said, we don't, it's not necessarily to say you're either or. Maybe while we get involved into this, even our, the way we are wired will start to change. So I believe that this is a very fascinating time to be alive in. We're co-evolving with the technology. <laughs> yes. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the Gen Ys, Gen Zs, Gen Xs, each generation has evolved in their own way and, you know, in accordance with how technology has been impacted in their lives. So even little kids now, they've basically been brought up by looking at an iPad. Yes. And they can't live or they can't imagine life without it. So, True. you know. What, uh, sorry, I don't know what Gen I am. Like, I'm a lost track. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I was I born remember, in the late 60s. I, so I, I was, was reading all the Gens, I think. <laughs> the, the Gen Y, XZ, I was, remember, I, I was actually reading it um, a couple of days ago because I always get, get mixed up and I still can't. <laughs> yeah, neither can I. Okay, well, f- I think for the next episode we have to test ourselves. Clarify that. <laughs> we have to clarify <laughs> it, yeah. Um, okay, move on to the next topic. Um, ICOs failing. Uh, maybe that's not <laughs> big of a surprise. From news.bitcoin.com, they did a study where uh, they found out that 46 of last year's ICOs have failed already. Um, sorry, 46%. And that basically means um, they either they either did not raise any money at all or they failed um, to basically do anything with the project. They raised something, there is a couple of millions, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they actually failed to, to do anything. And there's an additional 113 ICOs that could be classified as semi-failed, which basically means they stopped communicating with social media or they, their website doesn't open anymore. So what percentage um, is that? And that comes to 56% totally. of last year's ICOs, wow. which have failed. And so obviously VCs, they, they, there's this, um, we, we all know that 90% of startups on average do fail. And this might not come as a surprise, uh, that 50, 56% uh, of 2017 ISOs have failed and maybe what this year we might maybe see more failures, uh, especially since there's still crazy ICO boom 
this year. Faisal, give us another background on this digital graveyard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the numbers are quite scary. I mean, here it says that the 46% which failed um, raised collectively $104 million. Yeah. I mean, that's just money gone through thin air. And what makes it even more scary that it says that some projects actually failed because the the team who initiated just took the money and ran away. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it definitely opens up room for opportunistic people. But again, coming to the point that how much granular should we be? I mean, we have 46%, let's say 50% on average of projects failing. But we should be thankful that VCs are willing to spend that 50% to keep the ball rolling, you know. So back to the same discussion. But, I mean, concerned to this point, what should be done with ICOs? Again, I think often the question raised has got slight tweaks and nuances related to crypto and the new technology. But 99% of the issues are existing. So 104 million. Pick any single country in the world, okay, large enough, and see how much was lost to straight fraud. It's going to be multiples of that, I'm sure, collectively, right? Um, people still keep sending you emails saying somebody's inheritance. <laughs> and I, I'm sure every now and then they succeed, okay? Um, financial crisis. What happens when people don't pay debt back? That's money lost, right? Um, you know... Uh, Companies getting into trouble having to liquidate, and if anybody's got deposits with them or they've lent them money, they lose their money. Single companies have lost more than that. So it's a feature of the investment scene, financial system. And the evolution of. Yeah. Now, there are some things specific to this. It's new, everybody thinks it's going to go up, but I think we've seen that before. So some companies in the dot com era came up with ideas pre IPO. It was. It was more regulated. I don't think regulation is the only answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even with the regulation, people were willing to listen because this was new. So there's an element of human psychology of what, being ready to be taken for a ride. And there are people who genuinely tried something and it didn't work. And some people who genuinely tried something, but because it's easier to raise money, you try things that you wouldn't normally try. Yes. And you don't work as hard. Whereas if you have to work harder for it, you might increase your chances of success. But I would say that's no different from the scene Anyway, when stock markets started in this part of the world, there was regulation. People started with things, but some of them failed, some of them didn't. Some had elements of a little bit of dishonesty, and then people got caught out. We've been through the whole cycle. When money's involved, and people are giving you their liability, so everybody thinks they're buying an asset. I'm going to give you money, and I'm going to get something that will have a value. If it's an asset for me, it's a liability on someone. Yes. Right, You might not be lending them the money, but you're giving it to them in return for a promise for something. There's a whole spectrum of what people tend to promise relative to what they can deliver, yeah. deliberately or otherwise. Okay, mm-hmm. And when it's got a new sheen to it in the previous 20, went up 1,800 times, people are more willing to do it. And others are more willing to go and try to get the money, some honest, some dishonest. I don't think we should over-exaggerate the problem because in actual size terms compared to other things like that, it's tiny, realistically, globally. Mm-hmm. Calls for regulation, some of them might be, or, or over-regulation. I, I don't believe in, in, in 
and having no regulation at all, because not that it's, it's something I can choose or not. I think inevitably there will be some forms and some, as we said, the discussion about the totally decentralized versus not totally decentralized. There might be a solution somewhere that allows you to do more. But there will be calls always, well, this shouldn't happen. I don't know where you draw the line. I, I, I totally agree with you there because we still haven't seen the height of where this industry will go. We're, we're still at a level where we have not even hit knowing near the dot-com bubble. And I'd, I'd even say with ICOs, it's very, very different because in these initial coin offerings where people typically look at a white paper and look at even code, I mean, at least the sophisticated people will be looking at the code this this project will be publishing on GitHub or maybe on an open source um, platform. And this actually is a good thing because if a project does die, it doesn't. the code doesn't die because it's yeah. open sourced. Yeah. And so... I'm not. Ha- I'm not sure how many of these of these fifty six percent actually put up code online for everyone to access, but at least for the bigger projects that are out there, right, which actually do have live code up and running, and if they do fail, that's not a big problem because at least people could take that code and maybe do something else with it, yeah. right. Whereas w- when you had sort of venture capital being put into these private companies, everything was private, everything was silent, mm-hmm. you know, you cannot access any of that intel or information, whereas here, at least for the bigger projects, we don't know what's going to happen, people could actually go online and see what's see what's going on, and I'd say that, okay, 56% of ICOs have failed or semi-failed, but a lot of projects have gone live. I mean, to be honest, like, like I said, I think you can exaggerate, a lot of the problems that are talked about in relation to crypto exist elsewhere. Yeah. What's interesting, again, about crypto is some of these ICOs have features of traditional equity, some features of kind of VC, but the creativity is there. Some of them are actually blended. And we've had the discussion before about trying yeah. to get our head around what's truly unique or different about this particular instance. Yeah. It's a mix of X, Y, and Z. What is that liability? Is it just pre-sold goods? Then they will develop it. Mm-hmm. Or is there an element of I can also help? something else or it'll have value so that creativity the more of these that come out at least they might add something in terms of what the financial instrument is Uh, but on the flip side it's no better or worse than any of the financial markets in terms of size overall and when it's new yes people are more likely to make mistakes whether investing or starting up but at least there's that room for the creativity Mm -hmm. so what's interesting for me more than exaggerating the size of the problem it's good to have it measured is to see what new can come out of this that's enabled by the technology yeah. that can't be done with the conventional one. And there is interesting stuff there. I haven't quite found it yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still looking. Keep sending me white papers. Yeah, we're, we're all still looking. We're all still looking. Um, one point that I would like to add about ICOs. Um, do you think that this is kind of hindering the progress of blockchain as a technology? Because we all remember that tweet that uh, Vitalik came, came out with, and he said that this is not what I, basically saying this is not what I signed up for, <laughs> and if it continues like this, I'm, I'm pulling out. So even the people who kind of, you know, pioneered the whole thing is looking at ICOs becoming more of an opportunistic approach with some people. I completely agree with you that the whatever problems that exist in an ICO exist elsewhere. But maybe what, what adds to the complexity of ICOs is that we are seeing a couple of projects which are using ICOs 
as a purely funding approach. Mm -hmm. Their project has nothing to do with the blockchain. Their project has nothing to do with the cryptocurrency. But they're using that approach because it's easier, like you said, to raise money. Or you put blockchain in your in your company name and your stock shoots up okay. by X percent. So we had that with .com. And then we had a period where people would go to the VC and say, we're not a .com. <laughs> because after the crash, <laughs> they, they wanted to, to distance themselves from the .com. Then they started calling themselves a tech company. So for mm -hmm. every action on the one side, oh, it has blockchain in it. So all of a sudden, everybody's going to put money in it. Then you're going to hide the fact that it has a blockchain in it until people kind of stabilize. I, I keep saying that. We, we've seen this before. Okay. And these, these cycles and patterns repeat. So when it can have a negative impact as well, mm -hmm. right? Just look forward a bit and work your way through it, is what I'd say. To investors, beware. That's always been the advice from the day the first person tried to trade anything with anyone to the next 10,000 years. It'll be know what you're investing in, take your time and think it through. People will still make mistakes. That will help develop stuff. It's great that it's open source. It doesn't all disappear and doesn't die. And will evolve. And to people who've got a good, solid project to do, there will be people crowding in on that space who are scamming. Whenever there's money involved, human nature is such that somebody will probably yeah. try to pull a scam. Yeah. Okay? And there's no legislation that will stop that. You know, like murder is illegal. It just doesn't stop it happening, right? People will try criminal activity. Okay? If you have a good, worthwhile project, keep your head down. Try to get it done. It's been great to try to raise money. There'll be a flip side to that where it starts becoming difficult to raise money. And then the cycle will adjust. But look through that. When, I really don't know. These things are impossible to time. So I guess history does repeat itself. And we just have to go through it. <laughs> yeah, it rhymes. Was it? it doesn't repeat, it rhymes. You get yeah. similar patterns, but not exactly the... Yeah, rhymes. So this brings us to the... To the very fresh piece of news that surprise article yeah <laughs> <laughs> the wild card we, we didn't even you know had it in the agenda but it, it it turned out today and this is actually big in the UAE so um, the UAE's Security and Commodities Authority officially recognized cryptocurrencies as a security and they regulated ICOs so cryptocurrencies yeah or tokens overall Cryptocurrencies as a as a security as a security yeah not a commodity no not a commodity wow it's a because the SCA the Securities and Commodities Authority this is their kind of uh, jurisdiction that's so this is new yeah this is this is new from today, today. today. wait so it, it's a security they yes. they classify so did they say what did they give examples no I mean the the news article is very high level high level okay they just say that. This is officially recognized as a security. Okay. And we are working on regulating ICOs. Okay. So I don't know what kind of regulations are being put in place. I'm sure there will be a more detailed document rolled out in the next couple of weeks, maybe. But what do you think of that? Okay. Reactions. Um, pros and cons. I, I have seen things masquerading as ICOs that were so close to scams that it doesn't surprise me that somebody is trying to say, okay, at least you put a guideline. You might clamp down on it and make it too tough. Mm -hmm. But given the figure that we've mentioned, and, and I, as I said, I've seen stuff that was so obviously a scam, but people still fall for it. They decided they're going to try to control that. I don't know. I don't know what the motivation was. 
is that a positive thing? Well, the fewer people who get stung by scam ICOs, the more that the legitimate ones will have a space. Is there a risk of over-regulating stuff? Yep, maybe. I mean, that's it's kind of inevitable. But I think the bigger risk, in my opinion, Mm. was that ICO equals scam, don't touch it. That was possibly a risk that was going to happen. Okay. And we'll see how bad the over, quote-unquote, over-regulation or not will not be the case. Interesting what you said about regulating it as security. Because the ADGM, I was just by chance reading... I haven't looked at the TIFC DFSA. I've, I've looked at the ADGM stuff, which came out in June. So a security is clearly... What, what is the ADGM? The Abu Dhabi Global Market. Yeah. So um, that's a, a economic, financial, sorry, financial center. I don't want to call it a free zone. It's, got, it's regulated. It's yeah. based in Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. And there's a similar in Dubai, older Dubai International Financial Center. DFM, Each yeah. have the, uh, that's the DIFC, and the regulator there is the DFSA, Dubai yeah. Financial Services Authority. The main regulator onshore in the UAE across the board is ESCA mm-hmm. and the central bank regulating the banks. These are almost free zones. The, the institutions, they deal only in dollars and so on. Free, free zones. Okay. The regulations for ADGM, they define securities as tokens that have features of shares or bonds. And they say they will be subject to a full range of regulation that share or a bond if... if if it's only a token that gives you life to a share, or if it looks like a security, we'll call it security. They very explicitly then put crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, yeah. so Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc., like etc., et yeah. as a separate regulator, like a commodity, I believe, in terms of regulating their practitioners for using it, and they allow them to um, deal or, or kind of perform controlled functions, is the technical term for it, in approved cryptocurrencies, and I think one of the guidelines is $4 billion market cap yeah. plus and a few other things mm-hmm. like that, liquidity mm-hmm. and security. So at least the big ones can be on the exchange and regulated. And then they had utility tokens as unregulated. Because if it doesn't, if it falls through the net, it's not a security, it's not a cryptocurrency, then okay, it's an unregulated activity, you can engage in it, right? Mm-hmm. Which is quite a nuance now. And it comes as a sort of case-by-case basis. Right. Now, a security is the highest level of regulation, yeah. as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. So, so that's very surprising that they said there'll be... Yeah, makes me lean towards the, the view that this is about consumer protection and putting the highest level of regulation. Mm-hmm. So it's a security. And then maybe they will make exceptions and have some things more likely regulated and fall through the net. I don't know. Or, or maybe this could be a start. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe just to test how things are going on. And then maybe, like you said, making it more granular or categorized. Yeah. And, and to be line. fair... There are still questions unanswered about, I mean, once examples come along and you present a particular token, the regulator at the moment in in Abu Dhabi, ADGM, will decide on a case-by-case basis whether it's a security or a currency, are reasonably clear, the ones that they've approved, or uh, approved cryptocurrencies, or they will tell you, oh, it doesn't fall in any of them, it's unregulated. And and it's because sometimes the answer is not known by anyone. It's not that the regulator needs time to learn about what's out there they might not have, even have answers out there. So it, it, it's early. Uh, but it's interesting because that means that that could eventually be a positive step because then if you fit within their definition and you meet the criteria, you go do it. It, it might be too high a hurdle for some people, but at least if it eases later, you have a legitimate way to 
go ahead with, with raising money through this this means. We'll see. Agreed. I mean, I think we should get somebody from the security yeah, definitely. authority I mean, because, to because explain. The, <laughs> true, because the article also goes in and says that they published the minimum requirements to issue a white paper. Okay. But it doesn't go in details and say what are these minimum requirements. So, I mean, like I said, the news is fresh. It's today. <laughs> so we just have to wait and see what kind of official documentations follow along. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Great. Well, I think that's, uh, that's the end of this the last episode. note. I want to ask you to yeah. remind me of something. Oh, yes. The original paper from Imperial. Yeah. Did you have a chance to look at that? Yes, I did. Would you like to have Will Nottenbelt on your podcast? That would be amazing if you could have If I convince him, there's one condition that I'm here as well. Yeah, sure, absolutely. <laughs> could, could, you, could you fly him to Dubai then? <laughs> well, I, well, you can't do this remotely, right? We can do it remotely. Can. Let me check with him if he's on the way or whatever. We'll see. Awesome. But the promises are beyond that. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be great. We'd love you to have you back on the show. It's been a real pleasure, guys. It's fantastic. Excellent having you on board. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.